Well, hey there, and welcome to Live It Out, a podcast here at Centenary Church in Lexington, Kentucky, about faith and the 21st century. What does it mean to live as followers of Christ in a post-Christian society today? Each week, we're going to have the amazing opportunity to talk with people across the globe who are committed to walking through this life with Jesus and hear their thoughts and experiences of the Christian life in an ever-changing and hurting world. We hope that this encourages you and helps you in any way. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. Welcome to Live It Out, and thanks for joining us today. I'm James Williams, lead pastor of Centenary Church, and I want to urge you to not miss an episode. Each week, you'll hear from some of the most well-known leaders in Christian community, and I'd like to ask you to be sure to subscribe to the podcast today, and we'll remind you of upcoming programs. We have with us today two people who have been open to being used by God in so many ways over a number of years. They've recently collaborated on a book about what I believe can be one of the most confusing aspects of prayer, and that's healing. We're welcoming this week Dr. David Chaka and Dr. Maxie Dunham. Dr. Dunham is a prolific author and no doubt one of the great preachers in the Wesleyan movement, He's a former world editor of The Upper Room, former president of Asbury Theological Seminary, and currently serves as Pastor Emeritus of Christ Church in Memphis, Tennessee. David Chaka serves as lead pastor at Heritage Park Alliance Church in Windsor, Canada. He has a wide and varied ministry experience. It includes an international itinerant teaching ministry in the areas of holiness and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in prayer, mentoring, Pauline theology, just to name a few. And David has authored several books on prayer, including his latest work on healing prayer. And David will also be one of our primary presenters at Centenary's Watch and Pray 2021 Prayer Conference. That's November 5 through 7 here in Lexington, Kentucky. And we still have seats available, and we hope you'll join us. Dr. Dunham, Dr. Chotka, welcome to Live It Out. Thank Thank you. It's a joy to be here. It's so great to be with you. Maxie, I'm going to start with you today. Um, I read a book that really changed my spiritual life in some amazing ways when I was 25 years old. It was called The Workbook of Living Prayer. And you wrote it many years ago. And and I'm just interested in what God has revealed to you about prayer over the years. Wow. Uh, Thank you for just mentioning that. If any anybody ever uh, assesses my contribution to the life of the church and to the Christian way, uh, I think they would have to say that's my most important uh, contribution. Uh, I doubt if there's anything else I've done that has uh, impacted people as much as that. And to have you mention that, James, is uh, a real affirmation. Uh, God began, and I've emphasized that began, God began to reveal things to me and especially to teach me about prayer. And that's the reason I wrote that book. Uh, When I was invited to be a part of that ministry, I told them that they were inviting me to be a part of a ministry of prayer. Showed what a desperate condition the church was in (laughs) uh, because I certainly uh, was not uh, gifted at all. 
nor was I at that point practiced in prayer. Uh, but that book has given me the opportunity really uh, to teach about what I think is uh, the most neglected and yet the most powerful dimension and possibility of our Christian way, and that is prayer. And there's a sense in which uh, this little book that David and I have written on healing, healing prayer being God's idea uh, is a kind of climactic uh, or exclamation point uh, to the workbook of living prayer. That book is uh, uh, just an elementary kind of teacher, uh, but our little book on healing prayer is a call, uh, an invitation uh, that, that God has invited us to, and that is to share with him in a ministry of healing. Uh, I think, and I'm talking too much, but I think that uh, we, uh, in the Christian way, uh, fail to even acknowledge uh, that we have a, a role to play in the healing of persons uh, because we're so turned off by some bizarre expressions of, of the healing ministry. Uh, and I would urge, um, urge people uh, not to judge uh, the healing ministry of prayer by bizarre expressions that may have turned you off. Just think of the invitation that comes to you from Jesus himself uh, to share with him and uh, God's healing work in the lives of persons. So it's been a delightful, uh, rich uh, pilgrimage, uh, James, since, uh, since I wrote that book. Well, absolutely, and no doubt that it, it's touched many hearts around the world, and, and you're so right about the power that is available to us, and healing prayer is absolutely a part of our faith, um, but it is misunderstood, and I think sometimes because folks have encountered teaching or even uh, practicing in some uh, very strange ways and may not even be biblical or of God. And uh, and I know that in the book, you all uh, so clearly touch on some things that, that really help me to understand a little better uh, this, this marvelous ministry that's available to really all of us. And David, we're excited that you'll be here at Centenary Church with us on November 5th for our prayer conference. You and Maxie are tackling somewhat of a, a tough subject for Christ followers, and that's healing prayer, and we we really um, struggle sometimes to grasp what that can mean for us, and there's really little uh, on the subject out there to help guide us. How were you led to begin this good work? Oh, my. I, uh, uh, by the way, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. I'm delighted to be on it. Absolutely. The question that you just asked is actually kind of mildly ridiculous. Uh, the first story in the Healing Prayer Book talks about my very first ever experience of prayer, and it was not something I wanted to do. And and the, the very reason why this is uh, such a controversial area is because people are afraid to pray for someone to get better if they damage their faith when they don't or that kind of thing. Or you see these very, very weird and strange models on television or hear them on the radio or something, and they're terrified of the prospect. <laughs> At any rate, uh, I was in a very uh, kind of liberal uh, theological seminary when I started training for the ministry. 
And there was a fellow there who uh, always made fun of my faith. And it was pretty regular and consistent. And then over the course of time, uh, I just stopped hanging around with the guy. <laughs> I would say something about the historicity of a particular text, and he would launch this jab at me, and the whole room would explode in laughter. And I would laugh too, but it, it was at my expense. At any rate, over the course of time, I just stopped uh, trying to be around him. But we had a mutual friend. And uh, one day, I was crossing a plaza on my way to a class. And I bumped into the mutual friend, and she told me that our friend was in the hospital. And uh, she, she said that he wanted me to pray for him. And I looked at her, and I said, oh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> so he wants an excuse to make me you know, the laughing stock again. And uh, we had a chat, and she said, well, he has been cruel. And I said, uh, yes, he has. And she said, I'll talk to him. Uh, so she went off, and she talked to him. And I was in the coffee lounge the next day at the school. And she said, did you go? By the way, he's terribly sorry. Would you go and pray for him? And uh, it's not in the book. I actually refused uh, three times. And the third time, she looked at me. She got hot and mad. She stomped her foot. She got fire in her eyes. She looked at me, and she used my middle initial. It was like being told off by your mother. She said, David R. Chotka, aren't you going around this school telling everybody the Bible is the word of God and is to be obeyed? And I said, well, yes. And she said, well, how about this scripture? I was sick, and you visited me. And suddenly a spell blow landed in my heart, and I realized I needed to go and see that fellow. Anyway, I went into the hospital room. He had phlebitis, which is uh, an inflammation, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, an embolism or uh, a clot in his vein. And if the vein, if it broke free, it would go into his lungs or his brain. And if it landed there, you had a 95% chance of dying. And uh, I went into this hospital room, and he was hooked up to all these wires and monitors. And I looked at him, and I said, look, why do you want me to pray for you when all that you have done up to this point is to mock the fact that I believe the Bible to be true? Well, he looked at me. He had tears running down his eyes. He was in his 20s. He was a young man. And he said, I am so sorry I did that to you. You are the only person I know who believes that the Bible is true. Would you not please pray for me? I have phlebitis. I could die. And, of course, it, it touched my deepest heart. Not, but I tell you, I had never, ever, ever prayed for anybody, so I was afraid because I didn't know what to do. Nobody had taught me about this. And uh, I was afraid that he was going to mock me, so I walked up beside him, and I said, okay, where is the embolism? He said, it's in my left arm, just above my elbow. I said, may I put my hand there? And he said, yes. I put my hand there, and I knew in the Bible that Jesus touched people when he prayed for them. And I prayed some sort of an honest prayer, but I had no, I, I can't remember what I prayed. I just remember what happened. My whole being filled up with fiery heat and compassion. A hot tear came out of the corner of my eye, and I felt the room fill with a manifest presence. And I, I, I started to pray, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me, and he said, what is that fiery presence coming inside of me? And I said, that's the spirit of our Lord touching your body to heal you. And then the presence lifted. And <laughs> James, I ran out of the room. <laughs> number one, I had never experienced anything like that. And number two, I thought he was going to make fun of me. And the very next day, four o'clock in the afternoon, he was back in the school. I saw him in the coffee lounge. And he told me that a nurse had walked in. That uh, she, he had said, I can go now. My friend from the school would come and pray for me. She said, made me well. She, she ordered a, she was, she was coming to get him for a series of tests. 
and the phlebitis was completely gone from his body. That's how all this started. And so it launched me to study the scriptures to find out what it was that Jesus uh, did and his practices, what the early church did. And I began to read books on prayer for healing, but um, uh, there weren't very many out there. You're quite right. There's, in fact, the, the best book out there was written in 1974. It's simply called Healing. It's by a Roman Catholic guy yeah. named Francis McNutt. And, um, but there really hasn't been much in the way of helpful literature since that book. Yes, and you know that's that has been an impactful book for me as well. Uh, Francis and Judith McNutt are a gift to the church, no doubt. Uh, but that's a marvelous account that you give, um, David. It's it really is the power of God, and it is so true. And the Bible is true. And so when we can we can talk about those types of of healings, I do think that it. It builds up the church, and and uh, the folk. There are many folks out there, I believe, who have the gift of healing, and uh, they've just never tried it because they're afraid of uh, being laughed at, like you are. Well, true. So it, it actually that experience it can be summarized in a single sentence. It's in the book uh, that I wrote on prayer. God initiates, and we respond. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the phrase that I use when I talk about healing prayer. And, and, and usually the signal is a profound sense of manifest presence growing inside the believer while he or she is praying for the one who's afflicted. And when that occurs, there's this rise of compassion, there's this rise of peace, there's this rise of joy. And then suddenly inside the breast of the believer, there's this sense of faith. And then the person who's receiving the gift and the one who is doing the praying both feel it. It's a remarkable thing. Absolutely. Well, Maxi, you have had so many experiences throughout your life in ministry. Um, of course, I, I could do a whole interview on your time at the Upper Room in Nashville, and you have now served as the president of a seminary. What are what are some ways you've seen attitudes change or get better or maybe even worse around healing? Well, I, uh, I'm... I'm really excited about what I see, and I hope I'm seeing rightly, that the attitude within our mainline churches are changing uh, as it relates to the whole issue of, uh, of healing uh, and the larger issue, if it is larger, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the life of the believer. Uh, you know, that general theme of, of uh, the Holy Spirit working in our lives uh, have also has also been uh, uh, distorted by by expressions of, uh, of of that 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 are demonstrated on TV and that kind of thing. When at the at the core of of our being Christian and at the core of the Christian faith is is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and and as we have. Uh, James, as we have evaded or just simply uh, not acknowledged the, the possibility of healing prayer, uh, we just not recognize the fact that as Christians, if we're going to genuinely follow Jesus, uh, as Christians, we, we're not only to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit, we are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's not... It's not us that's doing the work in healing prayer. It's the Holy Spirit that 
that is doing the work. I do see in the church, uh, James, uh, a greater openness to the Holy Spirit and a, and a greater acknowledgement of, of the supernatural, uh, that which is beyond our reasoning and our rationality when it comes to how God is going to act and does act in our life. And there is a, a greater openness, really, uh, to, to healing. And I think the more uh, we give our people the opportunity uh, to share in that ministry, uh, if not to practice it, uh, to at least observe it and participate in it, uh, the better off we're going to be in terms of the healing ministry becoming more manifest in our lives. Yes, I believe that. I believe that, Maxie. And, and as I read uh, the book, Healing, um, I just thought what a magnificent thing God has done to bring you both together to do this work together. Uh, both of your voices are so important, I believe, in this time. And, and David, when you and I talked earlier, I remember you telling me a story about how you really believe that, that you meeting Maxie was a divine appointment. Say more about that. Oh, that was astonishing. I had completed the manuscript uh, on the Lord's Prayer. And as I look back at it, there were two things that fed it. One was, uh, was a liberal critical work by Yoshi Miramias called The Prayer of Jesus, where he talks about the exclusiveness of Jesus calling God Father. But the other was the workbook of Living Prayer, the very source that you talked about where Maxie Dunham says, why don't you break this, this prayer up into sections and put it in your own words? And that began the process of me looking at each of the key words that are found in Jesus' teaching. And what I discovered, and this is astonishing beyond measure, that it took this long in church history to get there, was that there wasn't anybody in the, in the history who had attached spiritual warfare to the Lord's Prayer or who had examined the doctrine of the kingdom against the backdrop of what Jesus was teaching in that prayer or looked at his understanding of the fatherhood of God and attached that to the prayer. And so I wrote this book, and it was I sent the manuscript to uh, various groups. And <laughs> so one of the big publishing houses uh, called me up, and the guy was very excited with the book. It was I won't tell you the name of the organization, but it was one of the big ones. In fact, it, it, the, the, the fellow who was the chief editor said, your book needs to get in front of the public. This is an important work. And he put it in front of his committee again and again and again. And they kept saying yet no for various reasons. And he contacted me and he said this. Number one, your church is less than 3,000. Number two, you're not famous. And number three, you're not American. <laughs> and then he said, the only way that you're going to get your book out in front of people is if a million seller in the prayer tradition uh, writes the forward to your book and makes a contribution to it. And so I hung up the phone from that publisher, one of the big guys, and I was, how do I say this nicely? I was mild, like more than mildly ticked. I was ticked off that I was not famous, that I was not American, and that my church was less than 3,000. After about a week of moaning about this, my wife looked at me and she said, my dear, have you prayed about this? You've written a book on prayer. Don't you think you should pray? Absolutely. And I said, <laughs> I said, I was just too mad to pray. She said, you should go into your office, close the door, tell the office you're seeking the Lord and pray. 
And I sat down in my office in the church. And by the way, it was 1,200. It wasn't a bad-sized church. And anyway, we had, we had five services on a weekend. But um, that's big in Canada. Anyway, I was praying, and I was asking the Lord. And as I prayed, my, the presence of the Spirit grew inside of me, and suddenly, bubbling up from the center of my being, came this phrase, Call Maxie Dunham. Ask him to read your manuscript. He will help you. And I thought, I have never met Maxie Dunham. If I tripped on the sidewalk and him, he wouldn't know me. I wouldn't know him. I've read seven of his books. He's a famous guy. He wouldn't want to spend any time with a no-name, nondescript Canadian. After all, I'm not famous. I'm not American. <laughs> and I argued with the Lord for about an hour. And finally, the conviction would not go. And so I, uh, I thought, okay, Lord, as an act of sheer obedience, I'll do this. So I... I got on my computer, I, I, I Googled Maxie's name, I saw it was attached to Asbury Seminary, I called Asbury Seminary, and I actually got a hold of his secretary. And Maxie had just left the office, just had left. And so I said, oh, well, I wanted to talk to him about a manuscript, and she gave me his contact information. And so I sat down at the computer, and I felt compelled by the Lord to do this. And I said, well, dear Maxie, I have read the workbook of living prayer, and here's what it did for me. I have read the workbook of intercessory prayer, and here's what it did for me. I have read the workbook of spiritual disciplines, and here's what it did for me. I have read that's what the man said, and that's what here's what it did for me. And I quoted seven books that Maxie had written. And then I said, I have shaped a manuscript around the framework that is inside the workbook of living prayer. Would you prayerfully consider reading this manuscript? And I, so I, push, I pressed send. And I think it was three hours later or four hours later, I got a note back, and the note said, uh, Dear David, thank you for your affirmation, et cetera, et cetera. And I have a two-day window two weeks from now, and if you can get that book to me, I'll review it then. And so I went over to the photocopy. It was a 300-page manuscript. I spent all my afternoon doing hand <laughs> by hand copy of this manuscript. We didn't have the automatic feed. Then I went over to the post office, and I spent $57.27 overnight that manuscript to Maxie Dunham. And then I said to myself, David Archaka, you have had the greatest delusion of grandeur in a very, very long time. This man doesn't know you. You're not American. You're not famous. Your church is not big. And I promptly forgot about it. Two weeks later, I was driving on the ring round around the city of Edmonton, going for a hospital visit. And my brand new cell phone that I had just received rang. In those days, there were no distracted driving things. And this southern voice comes on the phone and said, David, this is Max Dunham. God has commanded me to make you successful. I said, what? <laughs> Just about had a car accident as I was driving on that piece of highway. I now know why they have distracted driving legislation. <laughs> but from that point forward, Maxie and I became friends over a distance. We started praying together, corresponding together, sharing notes, etc. He wrote the foreword to that first book. He helped me with my doctoral work. And actually, there was a whole amazing series of divine appointments that led to my doctoral work where Maxie lined me up with the only guy in human history who had written a book on communal discernment, his best friend, Danny Morris. And so my doctoral work was on communal discernment and, and the strengths and weaknesses of the Morris Olson book. But what are the odds? I mean, what are the odds that I should decide to get a doctorate, that my professor should suggest I do prayerful discernment, that he passed me a book by a guy named Morris, and that I call Maxie to be my second reader, and that Maxie himself... I say that you want to introduce me to Danny Morris. <laughs> then yes. Danny became my friend. It was an amazing series of divine appointments. 
That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And and it, it speaks to the heart that I know that is uh, Maxie Dunham. And so that's a wonderful thing that God has done through both of you. And, you know, one other thing that I really wanted us to be able to get to today was that medicine and miracles are not mutually exclusive, that they do come together and work together in God's healing plan often. And and I'd just like to know what both of you would would say about that. You go first, Maxie. Well, uh, I'll go quickly because I know we're running out of time. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think that there is a, any kind of opposition between the two. Uh, I think that uh, God uh, blesses and uses uh, that which we produce that is for the good of humankind. And and medical people spend their lives training. Uh, pharmaceutical people spend their lives uh, trying to get formulas that work for the healing of the body. Uh, so I think that God uses medicine uh, just like he uses prayer. Uh, there is a difference to be sure, uh, but God uses what is good for us, uh, for our own good sake. Uh, and so we pray, but we also, uh, go, uh, to doctors. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but my first grandson was, uh, uh, was born and his parents did not know it, but basically with a very serious eye problem, sight problem, uh, they finally recognized that while he would respond to noise as they approached his crib, uh, he, he would not, uh, uh re- respond just to their, their presence. The long and the short of it is, uh, that, uh, he was healed. We had uh, all of Christ Church in Memphis and my friends uh, in ministry around the world praying for him, and he was healed. His father happens to be a doctor, uh, and and so I I I'm convinced that uh, we don't ever want to set them up in any way uh, as uh, being opposed to each other. Uh, we use what's available to us. The best things that are available to us for our health and well-being, and along with medicine and doctors, what's available to us uh, that we must take advantage of uh, is the fact that God wants us to be whole, and one of the ways that He heals us is through the concern and care of others as they pray for us. Well, that's absolutely true, and, and it really, um, David, if you could, if you could answer this for us. How does prayer for healing happen? What would you say to that? Oh, well, you, you, okay. The reality is there's hardly a person on earth who doesn't know someone who needs healing. And what the Bible commands us to do is for the afflicted one to say, I want to be somebody who receives that prayer for healing. And you start, uh, underneath it, there is what I call sheer raw obedience to the scripture, which tells us to gather the elders and to pray or to simply pray for healing if you have not elders handy. And you do what the scripture commands, and, and it includes things like confession and making short accounts with God and so on. 
But the people who are praying need to pay attention to what's going on inside their hearts, souls, and minds. And the signals that I always look for when I'm doing prayer for healing is an increase in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When those three things start to expand while we are praying for the one who is afflicted, you cooperate with the increase of the presence. And so inside of me, it's usually, I I don't know if I have words in English to describe this. It's kind of a combination of a holy conviction married together with a rise of compassion, married together with an increase in peace and presence. Sometimes uh, parts of my body start to tingle, my, usually my hand. And, um, and, and sometimes there is a, a tear that comes into my eye as I'm weeping around with compassion for the person that I'm praying for. And if those start to happen, I usually take it as a signal that God wants this person to receive some kind of healing. And I cooperate with that. And I start to pray those words. Now, in, in, the, in the gospel tradition, you'll notice, nobody gets healed until somebody prays. And Jesus had the ability to be able to, you know, snap his fingers and do this, but he, nobody gets healed until Jesus of Nazareth prays or speaks. Nobody gets healed until the, the person who wants to be the recipient of the healing reaches out to apprehend it. Nobody gets healed until that prayer aspect is combined with faith in the Lord who can do it. But when the, inter- when the intercessor is the one who is being aware that this is to be so, they become tangibly aware of an increase of the Lord's presence inside of them. And very often a picture pops into their brain of that person becoming better. You cooperate with that and then you attach your words to what you're praying. And you pray for that to increase and grow. Now, but I just how to say that in, in a few seconds when this takes hours. I hope that helps. It absolutely helps. It absolutely helps. Both of you have been a great help today. And again, I want to thank you for the work that you have done through this book. And my prayer is that it will get into the hands of, of many folks. Dr. Dunham, Dr. Chaka, it's an honor to hear from you both today. And I want to thank you for being with us on Live It Out. God bless you, and you're in our prayers. Well, God's peace to you, and I look forward to seeing you very soon. Thank you so much. Well, I'm Max, jealous that I'm not going to be able to be with you all in that conference, but you can know that I'll be praying for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you'd like to meet David Chaka, he's going to be with us at Centenary Church here in Lexington, November 5 and 6. Registration is still open for Watch and Pray 2021. So do that soon by visiting lexchurch.com slash prayer conference. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you. Keep praying and keep the faith. Live It Out, Faith and the 21st Century is a production of Centenary Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Join lead pastor James Williams each week as we engage Christian leaders around the world. Be sure to subscribe today and leave a review of our podcast. To connect with us further, visit our website at lexchurch.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to joining you next week. Until then, love one another and live it out.